about speaking about Jesus' claims, I, I went immediately to the book of John, and I'll tell you a little bit more about why I did that later on in the service. <clears throat> and I went specifically to John chapter 3. And after I planned the service, I realized this is pretty much what was preached from last week when I was on holiday. But never mind. I think maybe God wants us to hear it twice. So, uh, John chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verses 1 to 15. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. So, as I've said, we are following a preaching series and uh, this morning our title... There we go, it works. Jesus matters because of his claims. Those of you uh, who know me or those of you that have heard me preach before have probably noticed the pattern that I tend to uh, base myself mostly in the Old Testament. Um, Certainly that's where I I find uh, most of my inspiration and feel most comfortable. Uh, So it's been a kind of a welcome challenge really to to spend time in the recent weeks going through the Gospel of John in some detail and really noticing uh, what Jesus says about himself. Um, So it's been a really interesting uh, experience and I'm I'm very grateful actually. Um, So what I've noticed, there's three of them, what I've noticed, uh, I, I read and I reread the Gospel of John several times over in the last few weeks, and I was looking specifically for what Jesus said about himself and the claims that he made about himself. And this is what I noticed, and this is what I'm going to be talking about this morning. The claims of Jesus are audacious. They're big and grand. <laughs> uh, they're challenging, actually, particularly when you read them all together. Um, and they certainly demand a personal response. So let's think about the first of those. If you ask people who Jesus is, sort of people in general, not church people, many of them agree that he did good things. Many of them will, will tell you that he was a religious man. And indeed, he certainly does do many good things. Um, in, the, in the bit that we read, um, Nicodemus uh, uh, comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So there's this real emphasis in, in Nicodemus's mind about the link between the stuff that Jesus was doing and this question of who is he? 
And certainly there's a whole load of very impressive stuff that Jesus does. And I was reflecting, actually, we probably spend quite a lot of time talking about the stuff that Jesus does more than we do thinking about who he says he is. And just in John, there's loads of examples. So there's several healings. Uh, there's the feeding of the 5,000. He walks on water. He heals somebody who was born blind. And then sort of the, the, the spectacular climax of all the amazing things, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that was where he speaks about being the resurrection and the life. So there's all sorts of amazing things that Jesus is doing. But what you notice when you read the Gospel of John, as I've done, kind of all the way through, rather than in little chunks, as maybe we do more often, he doesn't leave these amazing actions without explanation. He doesn't just let his good works sort of sit there and speak for themselves. Time and time again, when Jesus demonstrates something with a healing or um, with a miracle or even with a resurrection, he goes on very clearly to explain what this thing tells you about who he is and his power. And actually this I found challenging in itself to me because I wondered how, how often we let our own actions kind of just sit and speak for themselves. But actually if you look at the pattern that Jesus did, he did amazing things but he was very quick with an explanation about what that meant and what it showed about who he was. There's a very popular view, I think, that Jesus was quite a humble man. Certainly he didn't own much stuff, and our caricature in our minds of somebody maybe with sandals and uh, poor clothing, and, and we think maybe he's quite humble. But his claims actually are pretty audacious. If you read uh, the, the little Michael Green book, the things that he says are of note is that Jesus claims equality with God. Unequivocally, Jesus claims for himself equality with God. We're going to look at some examples in John in a moment. He also is very clear that he is worthy of worship. Several times people attempt to worship him and he does nothing to stop them. It's almost as if he thinks he deserves it. He's also able to forgive very freely, much to the disgust of many of the religious authorities. He forgives sins. And he talks about being able to give life. He doesn't just talk about it, he actually does it. He resurrects Lazarus. So those four things, very audacious claims. And I think this is really, really important, that we get really stuck in and we understand what does Jesus say about himself I was reading a book by Simon Ponsonby this morning, and I added this quote in at the 11th hour. Simon Ponsonby says, The individual Christian and the corporate church fall into danger or error when they seek to construct or conceptualise God outside what he has shown himself to be. We seek to construct a God outside of what he has shown himself to be. And I think very often the image of Jesus that we have maybe is formed not from the things he says about himself or the things he claims to be, but maybe a kind of hodgepodge of other ideas. So let's just spend a little bit of time. So if you've got a Bible, if you haven't, there's some in the pews. I'm going to skip through John and pick out a few verses which will just let us listen to what Jesus says about himself. So um, I'm going to start halfway through chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 25. 
One of the things you notice when you read through John is the I am statements. Uh, and I think um, on a, at a previous occasion, we, we preached through, uh, certainly I've preached through the I am statements, which are quite powerful, and you get all of them um, in, the, in the Gospel of John. And the first one appears here in John chapter 4, verse 25. And he meets the woman at the well, and in verse 25, the woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I am he. The woman says, we're waiting for a Messiah. And Jesus says, I am he. Very simple. But there's nothing humble there, is there? There's nothing, if you think I am, then maybe I could be. Very definite, very sure, very certain. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus just says, yeah, you're waiting for a Messiah. It's me. An audacious claim. And the first use of that I am phrase, which is even more audacious, as you will know, it's the name that God reveals himself as when Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am. I am who I am. And this was the name that the Jewish people recognised God by, almost so holy that they didn't really dare utter it. And here is Jesus saying, I am he. Not just am I the Messiah that you're waiting for, but uh, right here claiming equality with God. If you go on uh, through chapter 5, this is where we start to get the idea that Jesus isn't just saying I am, not just saying I am the Messiah, but he's saying I'm equal with God. So chapter 5, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son, says Jesus, and shows him all that he does. And yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very clear, isn't it? He's saying he's equal. Equal in terms of being able to give life, equal in terms of being able to receive honour, and almost more than equal in terms of judging. He's saying, God, the Father has given me, the Son, the right to judge. So he's claiming equality with God. Properly audacious stuff. Flip over to uh, chapter 6. This is, this is a really good demonstration of where he does something and then he explains it. So we, we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which is something we're very familiar with, an amazing act in himself, something that Nicodemus would no doubt say, we see you do amazing things, no doubt you are from God. And here comes the explanation. So in chapter 6, verse 48, Jesus says, I am, that I am statement again, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Very clear, audacious statements, really linking the provision that Jesus is bringing to the provision of the manna in the desert. Okay, that real high point for the Jewish people of God's provision. And they will talk about God, my provider, as part of the identity of God. And Jesus is saying, I am 
Not only am I the provider, but I'm also the bread. I am the one who provides, and I am the provision. I am the one that will sustain you. I am the one that gives you life. Audacious stuff. Okay, and the last one, you could go on, but I kind of got to draw a line somewhere, and this is the last one that we're going to share for now. In chapter 8, love this. Okay, so in chapter 8, um, he, he, there's a whole section titled Jesus Claims About Himself. And again, he's talking to the Jews here. And they, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. And in verse 57, these Jews say, But you're not yet 50 years old bit rude because I think he's probably about 30 at that point isn't he but hey you're not yet 50 years old they said to him and you have seen Abraham they're incredulous truly I tell you Jesus answered before Abraham was born I am wow that's not the sort of thing a humble man would say before Abraham was born I am and at this they picked up stones <laughs> to stone him um there is this kind of popular myth that I encounter sometimes when people talk about Jesus and his claims. They say, well, Jesus never really claimed these things for himself. You know, the king of the Jews was a title that was given to him, and, and yes, they stoned him, and it was all a bit of a misunderstanding. He never really claimed this self stuff for himself. I think we need to be really, really clear. Jesus totally did claim this stuff for himself. He claimed that he was the Messiah. He claimed that he was equal with God. He claimed he was able to give life and able to forgive. Moreover, he claimed actually that he was the way, the only way to the Father, the way, the truth, the life. Many, many other verses I could have given. But I think we can be very clear that Jesus did claim these things for himself. He made many audacious claims for himself. And so where does this leavers. Again, in Alpha, we come uh, across what C.S. Lewis calls the trilemma. We accept that Jesus claims these things about himself, which leaves us with three possibilities. Either he was deluded, or he was intentionally evil, or it was true. And our working premise, I guess, in the fact that we're standing in the church, is that we believe that he was telling the truth. And if all these things are true, then this is immensely challenging, isn't it? Truth is a really challenging concept in our society and in our times. Um, I was on a train coming back. I've been working in London and I was on a train. Uh, and it's a fairly typical scene if you're used to commuting on a train out of Victoria. You get on uh, and there's a very complicated announcement about how the train you're going to be on is going to split halfway and half's going to one place and half's going to the other place. And there ensues a very typical conversation amongst strangers on the train. Am I in the right bit for Horsham? Am I in the right bit for Bognor Regis or for Southampton? And it's very straightforward. The first front four are going to one place and the other four are going to the other and there's an announcement and they've said it over and over. What I've noticed about how that conversation runs is nobody will claim to be certain. You never get somebody who says, yep, you're in the right place. Um, on this particular day, there were people, yeah, well, I think so. Well, I'm, not, I'm only going to East Croydon, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm only going to East Croydon. No, 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 no. I don't think it stops at Gatwick Airport, even though nobody's asked about Gatwick Airport. 
or, well, the sign says you're in the right place for Horsham, but who knows with Southern? That was something else they said. Who knows? Who knows? Which is a fair point. But what I was reflecting on as I was observing this conversation was even in the most basic things, have you noticed how reluctant our society is to say, yes, that's true? Yes, definitely. There's a real reluctance. There's this idea that something can be true for one person and not true for another, which is a little bit odd, really, when you think about it. Jesus claimed unequivocally, audaciously, he said, I am the Messiah. I am equal with God. I am worthy of your worship. I am the only one that can forgive. I am the only one that can give you life. This isn't something that's just true for him or just true for us individually. If this is true, then the challenge is bigger, isn't it? The challenge is that this is true for everyone. Therefore, this stuff actually matters. This is life and death stuff. In chapter 3, back in verse 17, Jesus says, God did not send the Son to condemn it, but to save it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Unequivocal. There's no middle ground. It's not enough to say that Jesus existed or that he did good things or that he was a nice religious man. Because if what Jesus said is true, then it matters. And we have to turn our lives upside down in order to accommodate this truth, in order to live out a response. And verse 19 really spoke to me as I was preparing this. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. There's dark and there's light, there's truth and there's the lie, but people prefer the darkness. And I wondered in this unwillingness to be certain, this unwillingness to peg ourselves to a particular truth, maybe we're kind of living in the darkness a little bit, kind of hanging around in the shadows. Maybe we prefer the darkness. Maybe we're a little bit comfortable. Maybe we're a bit worried that if we say this is really true and we have to turn our lives upside down to accommodate it, what that will mean. Where might Jesus be wanting to shine a light of truth in? Uh, So to help us think about that, um, I'm stolen, shamelessly stolen, this little diagram uh, from a book that I'm reading called Mission Shaped Grace by John McGinley. It's very good. I will probably be annoyingly recommending it to everybody once I get to the end of it. Um, and this is about how the claims of Jesus challenge us in every area of our life. So the upward stuff, we've got to think about who Jesus is. If we understand what Jesus says about himself, then this has got to change how we worship, right? It's got to change uh, how we think about Jesus. If we really understand Jesus as fully equal with God, the only one, if this isn't just an intellectual truth, but it's something that we really uh, take to heart and have our lives turned upside down by, it's going to change how we worship. It will change the nature and the depth of our adoration of him. I think it was Ishmael at our church weekend away who said we don't talk enough about the kingship of Jesus, do we? Uh, I haven't talked about that this morning, but the kingship of Jesus. So understanding more and more and more about who Jesus is and who he says he is changes um, and enhances our worship. The out is mission. I think 
this is probably where it would impact the most, actually. If we're clear about the claims that Jesus made for himself, I wonder, do we sometimes make Jesus that we present out there a bit small? Jesus was audacious. I'm the Messiah, yep, I am. I'm equal with God. I can do all things. I can give you life. I can heal you. What do we say when we introduce Jesus to people? Do we make him a little bit too small or a little bit too safe? And why is that, I wonder? Is it because our vision of who Jesus is isn't quite big enough? Or is it because our mission isn't quite brave enough? How are we challenged about how we pray for people that we meet if we understand who this Jesus is and what he claims about himself? I'll let you ponder that. I think we're doing some really good stuff. But actually, we're quite gentle. Gentle's good sometimes. But let's learn from how Jesus spoke about himself and just be challenged if that's what God wants to do with us. And finally, the inward stuff, the, the, the challenge that comes from knowing who Jesus is for our personal devotions. I think the claims of Jesus, when you look at them, very clearly demand a personal response. When you look at the, the times that Jesus spoke, he was generally speaking to individuals, wasn't he? Speaking to a specific group or to a woman at the well. Um, and he was saying very clearly to, to, for example, at the woman at the well, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? Very personal and very challenging and demands a personal response. As we see from this exchange with Nicodemus, an intellectual response isn't enough. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He knew this stuff. And yet Jesus said to him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And in that little passage that we read from John chapter 3, he talks about being born again, involving believing the Son, being baptised in water, being baptised in the Spirit. Jesus is very clear that believing in him isn't a nice-to-have, an optional extra. It's not a sticking plaster. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card for when times are tough. He isn't for only for a few people or for those who are too weak or too poor to manage on their own. But he's for everyone, for the strong, for the rich, for the capable, just as much. He doesn't invite gently or give time for people to respond or to consider. He's a burning light that confronts darkness. He's a life that breathes resurrection into dead bodies. And a saviour who urges people, follow me, and asks outright, do you believe? The reason that I chose the Gospel of John to go through and spend time in was because when I was at university, we did a, a mission based on the Gospel of John. Every summer, the, the missions are uh, themed around a different one. And when I was leading the mission week, we used John, so we did a lot of study. And we were studying the Gospel of John with non-Christians, just like running uh, cafes and, and bars and pizzas and stuff, when we would just sit down and say, would you like to get to know Jesus? And the way that we did it was we said, would you like to get to know Jesus? Because we'd love to just show you. We'd love to give you a gospel and read through. And people would meet him. And the whole of the, the mission branding was called identity. And it was all about, do you want to know who you really are? Which is quite exciting. It was quite a good bit of branding from the mission people. Um, do you want to know who you are? And even better, we had sweatshirts on that said, who's your daddy? Which we all thought was really cool at the time. But, you know, maybe it was a bit cheesy. But it was really interesting just to kind of take people through the Gospel of John and just say to them, this is who you are. 
And the, the quote, again, another quote that I'm going to steal this time from Carl Martin, who we've stolen two quotes from. He was a good guy that we met last week. If you want to know who you are, you've got to know Jesus. And this is the quote from Carl Martin. I am who I am tells me who I am. I put it on the screen because you have to kind of let it sink in to get it. I am who I am tells me who I am. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what he says about himself, how on earth are we going to know who we are as individuals or as the church? All of Jesus' claims about himself become personally relevant to us because we're grafted in. We, he is the vine and we are the branches. We've been told to remain in him. So all of his claims become immediately and personally relevant to us. And they become a challenge for us that demands a personal response. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, would you forgive us for the times when we've made you too small in our minds or in our lives or in our mission? Thank you for the gift of your scriptures. Thank you that you spoke so clearly and so unequivocally about who you are. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you laid your life down that we might be able to enter into full relationship with the Father. And Lord God, thank you that even now you are calling people, follow me. You are challenging people, do you believe? And Lord God, even now, would you move by your spirit? If anybody has escaped meeting you or believing you or choosing to follow you this morning, Lord God, I urge by your spirit, Lord, would you bring them closer to you? It's quite easy. If you've been coming to church for a while, or even if you're just visiting, if you've heard about Jesus, but you've never said, yes, I want to follow, yes, I believe, that's all there is to it. You just say yes to him in your hearts, and the Holy Spirit does the rest. And if you've done that this morning, then there's loads of guys with prayer team badges on that would be delighted to talk and pray with you at the end. But as we close our worship, we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing.